0: I love watching kids work together. Like this past week at VBS, all the games that they had going on, um, it kind of gives me hope for a future that the little ones, they can put their differences aside and that they can work together. And all of us in some way are a part of a group or a team. Maybe at work you're a part of the tech team or you, you serve on the board. Or if you're at school, whether you're a teacher, you're a part of the staff, or you're on a coaching staff, or maybe you're a kid and you're a part of a soccer team. Or maybe at home, are you a part of a a family team? Now, I'm a part of Team Johnson, and in my family, we all have different responsibilities. Now, I'm the head of the family. I, I work I deal with our finances. I fix whatever needs to be fixed because that's usually dad's job. Fix whatever needs to be fixed with super glue and duct tape. Um, But I also love to tell bedtime stories. The three little pigs ask my girls. It's their favorite. They love the big bad wolf. It's it's fun. But I, I have some different jobs. Christine, she has some jobs too. Christine is the heart of the family. She is there to manage the home. She kisses boo-boos. She fixes delicious meals and bakes some really awesome cookies. She's just very talented and gifted in those areas. And then there are the girls, all four of my girls. The girls, they are the hands and feet, and they help Christine and I around the house doing different things. Now, Becca, she loves to clean. She loves to fix her room like every night. She's like, look, Dad. I made my bed and she cleans her room. She loves doing that. And she, I've probably told most of you, she is a little mom, she loves helping out with the babies. No diaper changing, but she she likes to help out. And then there's Ellie. Ellie is the joy bringer. Like that is her, that needs to be her nickname around the house. She lives up to her middle name. Whenever we need a laugh or, or just our day to be brightened up, Ellie just arrives on the scene and she just brightens up our day. And then there's the twins. And you probably think, wow, three months old, they probably don't do much, but they have a very interesting job, and they don't even know it, like they have a job, and it's it's actually very important. And yes, they bring joy and laughter, especially now that they're smiling and cooing and giggling and being super cute, but they also give our team a sense of purpose. They're constant reminders that we need to keep doing our jobs well, and that if we falter, if we screw up as a team, The family's gonna suffer. So we work together and we keep it together for the most part. And we lean on God when we're not at our strongest. Now it's unmistakable that we can look around the church today and we can see, we can kind of see that same structure, a gathering of people as one large family. And we all have a part to play. We also all have responsibilities in the church. Now we can look at Acts and see as the church took form in the New Testament, that they had some growing pains. Let me pray for our reading of the word today. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just ask that you, uh, as we look to this story about the early church, uh, as the early church had its squabbles and disagreements, um, that we can learn from the past, that as we look to the future, we can apply um, your scripture to to our lives, and that, God, we can look to you for guidance. pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I I like cute titles for my sermons, and uh, today is titled The Magnificent Seven, one of my favorite movies. So we're reading from Acts 6, 1 through 7, the choosing of the seven. Now in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained about the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, as we read this, we see right off the bat that there are two groups. There are the Hellenistic and the Hebraic Jews, and they're fighting, which... That sounds like church sometimes. You have two groups, they have differing opinions, and they fight. But a quick explanation of these two groups, because today the words Hellenistic and Hebraic probably don't have a lot of meaning to us. So just to give you kind of a, a very brief explanation, the Hellenistic Jews are Jews who are not originally from Israel. They, they spoke Greek, and they tended to have some Greek ways of life um, and they just held different traditions than the Hebraic Jews. They were just a little different. And then there are the Hebraic Jews, which they're the originals. They're, they're from Israel. And so they hold all the tradition. They have the Old Testament. That's what they grew up on. That's what they know. Now, the Hellenistics, they were incredibly upset. Uh, they were upset about how the, their widows were being treated and how they were being overlooked in the food distribution. They saw the injustice happening. Now, when we look in the first century, the church uh, took a lot of its laws from the Old Testament, things like caring for the widows and orphans, which if you go and read through the first five books of the Bible, which I just got done doing for one of my classes that I'm taking to become a pastor, you read the same laws over and over again, and that's what they knew. And uh, so they saw this, and this was all that they would have known before Christ's arrival, before he came and changed things up a little bit. Now, the 12 disciples saw that this problem was arising, and they saw that they needed, we got a problem, we got to fix it right now, we got to fix it. And uh, so the apostles took immediate steps to try to settle this dispute. They stepped right in and said, let's let's just all calm down for a second. They explained that it would not be a good use of their time to take charge of the distribution themselves, and they recognized that God had called them to share the good news and lead the church and not focus on waiting tables. Now, I must confess that the the first time, uh, this is actually an area where God has been working on me this past week. Uh, the first time I heard that phrase, waiting on tables, like we hear that today and we think waitress, we think waiter, we think that goes to our, our minds right away. And so when the first time I had this explained to me, it was kind of turned into a negative that when you hear this phrase, that instead of waiting on tables, we need to focus on the bigger things and stop wasting our time on the menial tasks and the minutiae of ministry. Focus on the big rocks, not the little stuff. And while this interpretation is partially true, uh, this was the case of not taking the full verse in context. So we got to kind of work through all of this together. Now, in reading on, we see that the disciples state that they need seven men full of wisdom and the spirit to lead this part of the church. They needed them to take over so that they can continue to focus on prayer and the preaching of, and sharing of the word. Now, the disciples recognized they needed these right men for the job uh, to fulfill this position. They needed someone who was uh, full of the spirit and, and wisdom. And so they called these seven men, they commissioned them in prayer, and released them to go and do the work and the gospel spread. Now, this story, it might seem like kind of an insignificant one, but it's actually very important as, as the starting of, of the church This story is important to us today because it helps us recognize something, that we all, we all, not just one, we all have a part to play in God's church. But you might be wondering, well, what part am I called to? What is God calling you to? Have you prayed about it? Have you thought about it? We're just going to look at a few examples today that I'm going to back up with Scripture, just some areas that maybe God might be calling you to. The first one is taking care of the poor. When we look at the Old Testament, we read in Deuteronomy 15, 11, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Now, whether that's donating money to a charity or even dropping off clothes at Bargain Bonanza, we are called to take care of the poor. When we look around Our community and I know Fulton's like oh we don't really there are folks that are struggling and they need help. We have our food pantry. We have so many ways that we can take care of those who are poor. And speaking of those that need food, we could be feeding the hungry. We read in Isaiah fifty eight ten and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. We are called to feed the hungry when we see. Um, folks that are, are starving, people that are looking for food. We have things that we are able to, to go on mission trips. We're able to send food and send money to, to people around the world that are, are hungry. Then there's being hospitable to strangers. This one, might be a, this one might be a little bit of a stretch for some. But we read in Matthew 25, 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Now, again, there might be people that you know in your life, it could be a neighbor, it could be um, just someone that you see on the street that looks like they're having a a rough time in life. We are called to be hospitable to those that are, are hurting, and again, those that are in the need. And this last one, I think we're all pretty familiar with it. Loving your neighbors. We read in Matthew 12, 30 through 31, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. We are called to love our neighbors, even the one who doesn't mow their yard every other day or the one whose kids throw their ball into the yard, but not just our our literal neighbors. it's, It's the people that are in our lives. We are called to love them even when it's hard to. Uh, there's a book called The Art of Better Neighboring, and Jay Pathak, the author, he echoes Jesus' words in his book, and he says, we all need to get back to the basics of what he, Jesus, commanded. Love God and love others. Everything else is secondary. Pretty much others first in a nutshell right there. Now, we, look, we can think of that list and this list of areas to serve could we could have, I could have just stood up here for an hour and just talked about this is a way we can serve and this is a way. Because there are so many ways that we could be serving in God's church. And you know, just having the kids up here just a few minutes ago, I can say over the past week, we saw how our church family, we saw how they came together and they did vacation Bible school. It wasn't just one person, it was a group of people that came together. And they were serving the kids of our church and serving the kids in our community. Our, our neighbor, uh, where we're Christine and I were at the bridge, our neighbor's boy, Ian, he came to VBS every day and I ran into him and he's like, I can't wait for VBS like that. And a couple of his buddies were like, yo, we'll see you there. Miss Colleen's awesome. They love the games. Um, they, it was just, that touched my heart. Just the This is our church impacting the community. And that's something that God did through us. Then we can look at the last two Sundays, and the volunteer fair, my first time getting to be a part of one, uh, and it was just so cool to see folks just milling around, looking at the list, what do I have to do here, you know, they're stealing Hershey's Kisses and everything, that was more the kids, kind of, uh, They're just seeing how folks engaged and said, well, what does it mean for me to serve at dinner church? Like, we know what Supper's at Second was, what's different about dinner church? And I loved seeing people sign up for that, seeing people sign up for the Crossview kids crew. Um, as I said, we had a few brave souls sign up for the bridge. Like God was probably just beaming at the fact that we had our church family signing up. Men and women willing to devote their time and giftings things to help serve here at Crossview. And when we look to the future, the road ahead for Crossview is paved with so many opportunities to serve others by putting others first and we all have a part to play in that, and all of us are a part of God's family. We know, we know this as we become believers. We're all part of God's family, and all of us have our different giftings, and all of us are important to the progress and spread of the gospel. So, we're going to hop to the New Testament, um, well, further into the New Testament, to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, because so I believe that this states it best. As the church is one body, united, and diverse. So we're going to hop around. We're not going to read the whole passage, but starting in uh, chapter 12, verse 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ, for we are all baptized by one spirit. So as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many going to hop to verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Love that passage. It's... uh, packs a little punch. But we're all called, we are all called to work together as we all are part of the body of Christ. And every part is important. To circle back to that phrase, waiting on tables, what may seem like trivial or an unimportant job could end up being way more important than you realize. Maybe when you signed up, maybe it was that responsibility you took on. Like maybe it was setting up tables for dinner church. Or being a door greeter on Sunday morning. I love all the smiles that we come in as folks saying hello to everyone. Or maybe it was teaching kindergartners the Bible, which I've never done it. I'm sure it's it's, uh, interesting. Uh, Picking up litter as you cross the church parking lot. I know, uh, gross, let's keep our church clean. Or if it's part of a cleaning day. Or maybe it was praying with an eighth grader when they needed help. God saw it, God sees it, and he is blessed by it. And maybe all those things, and, and a long list of things, maybe none of these are things you signed up for, but you just saw the need. And I, I, I've i got to say, I've seen a lot of folks in our church that sometimes they don't need the prompting, like, hey, we need you to help with that. They just do it. And uh, God sees that. Now, when you become a part of the church family, uh, it can become very easy to be a bit of a bench warmer, or, in church case, a pew warmer Going through most church membership classes and I haven't gone through ours yet, so we'll get there. Um, but when you go through a church membership class, there's usually some sort of vow that is taken. Now when I became a member in the church I grew up in, um, I grew up and there was an agreement, and it's, it's kind of stuck with me. I'm 33 years old, and I remember saying it when I was 13 and I was confirmed. Um, And it goes like this, that I will faithfully participate in the church's ministries by my prayers, my presence, my gifts, and my service, and my witness. And any former Methodists are like, "Uh uh-huh, I know that. Now, while those are vows from a different denomination than ours, they're pretty sound. And they've stuck with me, and maybe they'll stick with you after today. And one of the things that was shared a couple weeks ago uh, during the volunteer fair, that has, has stuck with me, and um, was that the older generation? I like to call you seasoned. I like seasoned better. That just sounds nicer. But anyway, the the older generation has really poured into this church, and we can say Crossview, formerly Second Reform, has been blessed by those that have gone before it, and that it's time for them to to take a step back and let the next generation take on these responsibilities. And I agree wholeheartedly. I love seeing on our consistory that it's, we, have, we have a mix of ages, and that's awesome to see. And seeing the older generation train the younger generation, hey, it's your time to take this on. But I have to ask, is that you come alongside us younger people, and you mentor us, that you would pray with us, and that you would encourage us to take on these roles. We need that because we don't have the wisdom, the knowledge, Um, I can honestly say that when it comes to preaching, that I could go and read 10 books, watch multiple YouTube trainings, I could listen to podcasts, and I could gain all this wisdom about preaching. But if I don't have Pastor Scott pouring into me, praying with me, running through my sermons with me, making sure that I'm not getting heretical, um, he's pouring his knowledge into me from his years of experience. And that's what we need, church. We need the older generation to share that wisdom, that knowledge with us, because just wisdom alone is not great. Wisdom is knowing a tomato is a fruit, and knowledge is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. I was hoping I would get a laugh because I'm like, we'll see how that one goes. Pastor Scott also told me, Nate, stop putting jokes in your sermons. So I did not gain that that knowledge. We all need to help carry on the gospel of Christ. Folks, this is an all hands on deck situation. We are all called because when everyone in the church is doing their part, the church is at its best, and God's word will spread. The good news is going to spread. The church is God's plan for the world to be restored, to know of Jesus and to love, love him and to live eternally with him in heaven. Scott shared this story with me this past week, and um, it's a history lesson, so hang in there with me. It's, I, I find it quite interesting. But in, 3, in 312 AD, there was an emperor, Constantine. And most know him by he made Christianity the form, like the religion of Rome. He came and he did a lot of really, really good things for the church and for Christians. However, along comes another emperor, and he has a perfect nickname, Julian the Apostate. And Julian's goal, he saw what Constantine did and did not like it. And he said, We're gonna roll things back. We want Rome to be a pagan nation. And so he started doing all sorts of things. One that is kind of crazy today to hear this today is he actually told his pagan priests, start calling the Christians atheists. I know we hear the word atheist today and we think Christians and atheists are on the opposite side of the coin um, or they are complete opposites. But the thing is, is in that time, it just meant that you don't believe in pagan gods. That's a word that has been changed over time. Um, he also encouraged his pagan priests, he saw what the Christians were doing, he saw that they were good at hospitality. So he said, we need to do that to win people to our side. So he told his pagan priests, hey, start being helpful, being hospitable. And the thing is, is he got even more ticked as time went on because he saw that the Christian church, not only were they taking care of his Romans, he was, they were also taking care of the Jews. And they were also taking care of their own And this made him so frustrated. And church, we can look at that and be blown away that in the past, the church was the culture center for hospitality, not the world. And the thing is, is when all this was happening, Christianity spread like wildfire and the gospel spread. And it spread so far in the past because the church took on the challenge to love others, have grace for others who they don't get along with, and to tend to those in need all while putting others first. When we do these things, we can look to God's word. We can see Jesus's words in Matthew 25, 40. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look to you. We look to you for your love. We look to you for your guidance. God, help us as we look forward as a church family, as Crossview Church, that we would be the church that just knocks hospitality out of the park. That when we love on others, when we do things like dinner church, when we have service projects, when we are just out in the community at things like National Night Out, just other things that folks see, those Crossview people, what are they up to? And they see the love of you. They see the love of God beaming through them. God, I pray for for those that are, are still kind of working through, what is, it, what is an area for me to serve, God, that you would put a prompting on their heart, that you would be working in them, that they could see where they fit. Lord, we all have a place in your church, God. Reveal it to us. God, I just pray for this, this week ahead that you would be working on our hearts to to see the opportunities to serve, that we don't need a sign-up sheet, that we don't need a, a, a thing to just say, hey, do this. We just feel that prompting in our heart that God's saying, you can help, help there. Help us to remember to put others first, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. We could not do what we do at Crossview Church without you. God has given you gifts. He's given you talents. He has given you a heart to serve. What we need to do is we need to lean on him and help say, God, help us cultivate what that heart of service looks like. As I shared earlier, thank you to the older generation for what you have done, because we get to stand on your shoulders, not literally. (laughs) We get to stand on your shoulders, and we get to propel the church forward by what you have done. And us younger folk, it is our job to carry that mantle on. Much like Joshua took it from Moses, we are called to carry on the church in Jesus' name. So thank you, folks. We are so blessed by you. And I just ask that as you go this week, peace in your life. Be still and know that he is God and he is fighting for you and he is with you in the battle and in this life. We'll see you all next week.